Chase thrown on the run, and it is caught. Touchdown, Keenan Allen. What a grab. That's what I'm talking about. Hey, that's what I'm talking about. That's the Warrior spirit right there, boy. Huge sack by Joey Bosa. 90-yard touchdown. 90-yard touchdown. That's going to be picked off at the 8-yard line by Derwin James. Herbert sets his feet, takes a shot downfield, has Knighton. Touchdown, Chargers! That's the greatest throw I've ever seen. Oh, whoa, 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 whoa. Welcome to another episode of the Thunder Down Under Chargers Football Podcast. Andy here, joined by the boys. Jack, how are you, sir? Uh, time heals everything. Still a bit flat, but feeling a little better than I did from Monday. Mm, yep. And Alistair? I'm going to say the same thing. I would not have been able to do this show on Monday or Tuesday or Wednesday, but by now, just okay. You get time to kind of dispassionately watch it and think, and we're ready to speak shit again for the 20th time in a row. Oh, 100%. Exactly. It's reminiscent of the Jaguars uh, week. Let's get through this together. Along with all our fellow fellow Chargers fans out there, it's a tough one to swallow on multiple fronts. Um, we'll get into it all shortly. We have the bye week ahead of us. Much to discuss on that front with where the Chargers sit at a very flattering 4-3, and three, scheduled to face the Atlanta Seahawks in week 8. Falcons. Once again, our listeners, we love you guys. Please like and subscribe to the video and the channel and on Spotify and all your podcasts. Give us a review. Appreciate it. Los Angeles Chargers 23, Seattle Seahawks 37. You couldn't really ask for a better start on defense. Beautiful coverage play by Asante, popping the ball up for Kenneth Murray to record his first career interception. On the ensuing offensive drive from handy field position, a dubious fourth down play call saw a turnover on downs. That drive was followed up by consecutive turnovers by Justin Herbert, first an interception and then a strip sack. And before you knew it, the Chargers are down 17-0 and we all feel like a piece of a shit. The Bolts clawed their way back into the game with touchdowns to Eckler and Mike Williams, but inside two minutes to half time, some of our worst fears were starting to be realised. The half ended cruelly with Smith connecting with Goodwin for the touchdown as the Chargers appeared to have lost JC Jackson for the season with a serious knee injury. Second half looked like the offence had gained some mojo, however an ill-timed OPI on Bandy and checked downs resulted in a punt. Credit where it's due, the Seahawks took the next 10 minutes off the clock to shuffle down for a field goal, stymieing any potential momentum shift the way of the Chargers. Herbert's accuracy woes continued into the fourth quarter, Seattle's defensive line really getting the better of the trench battles, batting down numerous passes at the line of scrimmage. With the game still in the balance score-wise, nine minutes to go, a big sack on third and six saw the Bolts go for it on fourth and 13. Here's where it's almost enough. Watching Mike get injured in the way he did was sickening and equally saddening as JC's earlier. Failing to convert on that fourth down, Salt was scourged into the wounds as yet another rookie running back in the league zigzagged his way through a gas charges defense for a 74 yard score. We got a consolation touchdown, three minute drive. It was never gonna be enough. Seattle Seahawks finishing with the ball, cont continuing to impress the league at four and three. Chargers sitting in a very precarious situa situation heading into the bye. Flattered, as I said, by their own four and three record and beyond ravaged by injuries. Now, having just choked down those words, it seems like a pretty fair time for me to reflect back to our opponent series. Uh, I introduced the Seahawks and well, I copped flack for getting their 2021 record wrong. Uh, I think I did apologise that. But I also said some stuff like, I didn't think they were going to be any good. And I don't think I was the only person. So to YouTube user Divine Comedy who call, called me up, whether you're a Seattle Seahawks fan or not, I eat my words. I'm humbled in defeat. I, like you and every other Seattle fan, are no doubt as surprised by the rest of the league by how well you're playing at the moment. So good on you, Geno Smith & Co. You've landed yourself one heck of a rookie class this year. Jack, what do you got for me this week, man? Well, if I was a betting man, every team that we hung shit on, uh, me, I hung shit on the Jacksonville Jaguars, saying that they stay in piss-stained pools, and uh, you saying the Seattle Seahawks might not be any good. So 
as I said, if I was a betting man, I'd look at maybe reflect back on that podcast and uh, go and bet against the Chargers on any team that we've hung a bit of uh, crap on. So, oh, listen. Pulling the pin already. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I, I'm not so doom and gloom. I think, you know, it's almost the weekend here in Australia, which helps. But, yeah, the I could have taken losing. I think that would have been okay. But having lost in that manner and then being eviscerated in terms of injuries and players, um, that was hard to swallow. That was a very, very tough and bitter pill to swallow. I just hope that JC Jackson, Mike Williams, all the guys that we have injured, um, they're around really supportive people. And because, uh, you know, no doubt it's very hard on us, the fans, uh, as much as we can chat about it. Um, and there's, this is very cathartic for us as well to, to get out our woes and sadness but you know how, how hard it must be for someone like jc jackson or mike williams or keenan allen or rachel and slater you know or josh kelly or donald parham the list goes on these guys get paid to play they obviously care a lot as well it's their livelihood so um thoughts and prayers to those guys yeah absolutely and and you can just see how much it hurt jc jackson the the sadness him with a towel over his head uh, getting carted off the instagram posts since you know kind of pray for me i'll be back better and the reality is you don't know if a player will be back better once they have that kind of dislocated kneecap injury and surgery. There are players who never come back the same. Victor Cruz is an obvious one that springs to mind. Then some like a Morris Claiborne maybe did manage to come back, but it's just dreadfully sad for someone who, uh, I would just say, looked like they were playing him more in the way that he's played in the past, kind of lined up man on man with DK Metcalf, and even though he gave up a catch early, he looked up for the fight. So I was really keen to watch him fight through that contest. And unfortunately, we'll never, we won't get to see that for another year or so. Andy, you were about to jump in with yeah. a comment. Yeah, no. So I just wasn't sure if you were, if you said dislocated kneecap because it was confirmed a torn patella tendon, which is arguably a fair bit worse. Okay, please um, then, then show me up with, and for the listeners, uh, Andy, tell, tell the listeners what your background is, why you're more qualified to speak oh, to I these studied, issues than we are. I studied a little bit of health sciences a while ago, and now I'm an electrician, so I don't really listen to what I have to say. But I pay a little bit of attention to this because I've had a, a ream of injuries over my uh, amateur sporting career. So um, yeah, feel for these guys. It sucks when you you can't do what you, you love doing and what you get paid millions of dollars to do. So tearing the patella tendon is essentially the bit that goes, the extension of the quadricep muscle at the front of your leg that goes over your kneecap and attaches on the front of your shin bone. So tearing that is obviously a big weight-bearing kind of injury. Uh, as you saw, he was running and he kind of looked like he jagged off the right foot a bit on an awkward... You're so nondescript. Yeah. Oh. Yeah. And, so, and Andy, yeah, were you um, saying that it could be a symptom of the surgery as well? Having the, it's, we were, it's on the we same We were talking leg. about that sort of stuff. Not a symptom necessarily of the surgery, but just when you're, oh, I mean, it's hard, it's hard to say over the period of what, four weeks post-op or however long, five weeks post-op, um, maybe even longer. Uh, but, you know, as you're limited in your progress, there's, complications that can occur because you, you tend to guard an injured or recovering part of your body and um yeah it look there, there can be weakness i'm not saying it's a direct contrib contribution like i said it did look like he stepped awkwardly so could be a little bit of both but the way it's it's awful um i was actually going to say myself that i wasn't going to go into an injury report this week uh like i normally would i'll save that for after the buy when little niggles have sort of rested up or we've got a bit of confirmation on a few things because <clears throat> there was a lot going on but you know jc jackson goes down as you said al uh he, he he really looked like a different guy out there um on sunday the the competition looked like it was going to be a belter uh between him and metcalf unfortunately metcalf went went out of the game and then JC not too much longer after. Then Mike Williams just looked like he's totally fucked his leg on that fourth down reception. That was so yuck. I watched that back a couple of times and I actually, I just felt sick. Um, mm. Chris Rumpf got helped off on the ground on a special teams play as well. It just seems like the ground's crumbling from beneath the Chargers' feet uh, and the depth issues in key, key offensive position 
in particular um, is becoming a serious concern. Well, that's a nice metaphor, uh, Prof, because um, Kyle has been kind of decrying SoFi Stadium as a an appropriate field for sportsmen to play on. I know there's a discussion between grass fields and turf, uh, artificial turf, with, look, probably need to discuss it another time after we've done the investigation on what the data says. But the suggestion is that there's more prevalence of injuries on the AstroTurf and the players hate it. The players find it really painful and they don't recover mm. as well. They're sore all through their shins and much prefer grass fields, which, you know, intuitively it makes sense. And you know, it's yet another serious injury at SoFi Stadium for us. We've had a few because the Jags game was, a, was brutal for us as well. Um, anyway, yeah. hopefully that's enough and we don't see any more. Let's turn this around because we started off with the injury chat. We'll get to it's good some... to get that out of the way, get you all the sad to. stuff out of the way, and hopefully yeah. we can find a little bit of light and humour in the rest of the debacle. Hey, that's what we do. Uh, and, and we'll get into some things that we could work on, but I want to start with a couple of positive things at least. Uh, think Because they were there if you took the time to think about it and watch. And one thing I want to just keep on banging on about is how good a decision it was to sign Bryce Callahan in free agency, who yet again just had an elite performance. There were PBUs. He gave up one catch on two targets for the day, eight yards. Do you know what that takes him to for the season? He's given up only 15 catches on 24 targets, 91 yards, two touchdowns, two picks. So when quarterbacks target him, their passer rating 63. And for players in the NFL that have played at least 50% of snaps on defense, he's given up the second least amount of yards of any cornerback in the NFL behind only JC Horn. So I would have taken that so quickly if you gave it to me. He's been outstanding. That's one positive I have from the game. Yeah, I'll, I'll piggyback on that as well with another couple of DBs. I thought Adelie came back and had a, a serviceable game yep. as well after the debacle of benching and Gilman and all that um, a week or, or a couple of weeks ago. Um, and I also thought ASJ is just mm. slowly, um, you know, slowly coming into his own. He's not elite yet, but there's enough there in terms of his development from what I can see in his coverage. Still very aggressive. He still loves to get handsy, especially when the ball's coming down. But you can see, you know, even from the start of this year that he's getting better at turning his head around when the ball's in the area and perhaps giving away less um, passer interferences. So I th you're right. I thought that in terms of that DB group, um, um, other than JC Jackson having that shocking injury, you know, Derwin does what Derwin does. Um, he wasn't particularly standout, but I thought the DBs had had a, had a fairly solid game. Yes, although catch one of those interceptions, please, this year, Asante. You're so oh. close every week. Yeah, yeah. These little spirit fingers are just sort of tapping the ball and get to it. He side. thought he had that one too. He went off celebrating with it. It will come. It will come, Asante. Just keep doing what you're doing. Yeah, yeah I th Bryce was pretty close to, to one as well. Yep. Um, Props to Drew Tranquil, just while we're on the, the defensive side of the ball. Um, he's really flying the flag this last last month, and it's it's great to see. Um, How badly was he injured? Was Because he, he got helped off because it was Rumpf, then it was um, Tranquil, or was it Tranquil then Rumpf got helped off on successive special teams plays? I didn't see Tranquil come off, but uh, I, I, I don't believe there's anything. I didn't come off either. Okay. Yeah, I didn't see him come off and... Haven't heard anything. Uh, actually, Jack, I want you to go back to last week and ask me the same question you did about my guy Xander Horvath. Yeah. Okay. The answer is absolutely <laughs> nowhere. Uh, three total snaps, zero in the run game. Not even run blocking. Like, how effectively did Seattle use their thirteen personnel? Uh, it led to such an easy day for Geno Smith and for Kenneth um, Walker earlier in the game, and then he just blew it out. Three tight ends on the field, Tyler Lockett or, or Goodwin as Metcalf went out of the game. Um, you just didn't see enough. Even the amount of snaps for like Richard Rogers and I know, I know you, you, you can't say, oh, we need more of him in the game, but we're not committing to the run game at all. The snaps for the running backs was nothing. And we're obviously needing help with protection for Her Herbert. Yeah, that's my my first negative, just to jump on those. <laughs> no, but I mean, what really bothered me on that is you go to the effort of telling Isaiah Spiller that he's playing, right? Oh. We saw what Kenneth Walker's doing on the other side. 
They're both rookie running backs. Isaiah Spiller had great pedigree for Texas A&M, okay? Much later round pick. You give him his first carry with 33 seconds left in the third quarter, trailing 27 to 14. Yeah. I just don't think that's good coaching, personally, in that instance. Get, who knows I who he is? With you. Get him in nice and early. Hey, start the game with him. How about first carry of the game, Isaiah Spiller? I mean, it's very conservative. Yeah. It's like, you know, the veterans come in first, then comes Michelle, then comes Spiller if we need to. I just think it's missed opportunities to see what's in the bag. Well, if, yeah. well, if we're talking about sort of, you know, conservatism, you know, I, I wrote in my notes here, and it's, listen, where does the blame fall? Does it fall to Lombardi? Does it fall to Herbert? Does it fall to the offensive line? But, you know, we are very vanilla at the moment. The offense is very, very vanilla. Um, and that's the reason why is because we can't do anything else because, A, Justin Herbert doesn't look like he can throw the ball downfield, and I think it might hurt him to throw deep. B, the offensive line without Lindsley um, is banged up a little bit. Uh, and without Lindsley, I should say, it looks awful. Uh, Eckler isn't that big power back. Sonny Michelle isn't that big power back. We had no Kelly. Um, all it is is this is bloody stick routes, and it's just check down, check down, check down, check down, check down. We are the check down team. Um, and Seattle saw that very quickly. Uh, Pete Carroll prepared his troops really well uh, and just took that completely off of us, mm. and we could hardly move the ball. Um, you know, to, to, to sort of counteract that negative point, though, what I will say is that I'm, I'm still impressed with this defense, and I know I might cop some flack for that, but they got us back in the game. That, that, they, they had some big plays, that strip um, or that fumble that, that we got. They continually do put us back in the game, and I haven't really... It's we good that we actually that recovered year. the fumble. It's like <sighs> for the first time in a while. force it, but at least we recovered one for the... Mm. Yeah, and the injuries became quite overwhelming. And I think as a player, you know, you get in the second half and you're out without some of your leaders. But, you know, we just can't seem to... And Andy, you know, funnily that you mentioned that I'm going to ask you the question back from last week. Can you remember when I said that we disagreed about the cohesion and the consistency on the team that I said? I said, I, I haven't seen it just yet. And you said that you have. Um, mm. Now I'm going to sort of go back to that, and I will say that I think right now we can't. Here we're we we're playing Peter, and then we're playing Paul. Then we're robbing Peter to pay Paul, and then we're not playing Paul or Peter, and then we're playing both of them for a little bit, but then they disappear. So it's it, we play well on defense. We took we go three and out. We play really well on offense. Then we give up a 74-yard bloody run for a touchdown. I just it, there's just no cohesion or consistency across this team at the moment, and it's just it's quite it's mind-boggling. Yeah, uh, well, I'm <clears throat> I'm not feeling the same way about my answer as I did <laughs> earlier. Uh, obviously, now I've I've heard it mentioned that many times this week about the league being a a next man up operation, and our next men up are just not going to cut the mustard, not going to will Justin Herbert to be launching the ball down the field to Jason Moore, Michael Bandy, and, oh, I had a thing for him, not so handy Bandy um, <laughs> oh, this week. You've turned on Bandy already in one word. No, no, I haven't turned on Bandy. <laughs> no, oh. yeah, I I'm, appreciate Bandy for what he is, but he's not a wide receiver two or three in the scheme with Justin Herbert. No. Well, to your point, Andy, just... mate, he had 39 pass snaps this week. He was targeted five times, one catch minus five yards. Yeah, mm. and uh, didn't he have an offensive PI as well? Yep. Uh, back to Justin Herbert. Obviously, clearly this rib injury remains a total issue. It's becoming more mental than physical, I think. But 100%. then the 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 mental is then backwashing onto the physical. We're looking. I'm talking about. He's obviously he's losing faith in the protection, um, and he seems like he's physically regressed to when he was at Oregon. Uh, Al, you spoke about this, and I looked a little little bit more into it, and uh, he, yeah, he's doing a lot more of that side side arm throwing action. How many? Uh, which yeah limits his accuracy. How many ba um, batted down passes at the line of scrimmage were there? Three or four? In a uh, he, pretty he had. Oh look, I've got his season stat. He's had eleven through seven games. I think there were two 
He's 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 had more this year than this time last year by three. Mm. So he's just getting they're getting battered down. He's not having the big time throws. The good one from this week is he was sacked three times, which is the most times he's been sacked in a game this year. But despite having the second longest time to throw that he's had in any game, mm. so that maybe speaks to yeah. that point. There's something NQR. The yeah. buys come at a good time for him. Mm. Yeah, big time. I mean, he's six foot six. He should be throwing. And there was a lot of stuff maybe in an all-in episode where it went through the last couple of years, Herbert was throwing with shoulders that weren't square and then having them square allows, you know, greater propulsion or something like that. Um, like he's six foot six. If you're throwing with square shoulders and you're throwing over your line of sight, you should be getting over the, the defensive line. So maybe he needs a revisit from John Beck and Tom House for some of those throwing lessons like he did in 2020 as he came out of Oregon. You think it's the um, rim, right? That that's forcing him to throw in a particular way. Oh, it's. I think it's a, a bevy of things: offensive, like wide receiver availability, um, play calling. Um, it, like Jack said, it's vanilla. It's becoming predictable. Mm. We're finding guys breaking into routes, and somehow you know there might be two receivers close to each other, and four defensive backs or a linebacker and three defensive backs right around them. Like we're just, we're losing that numbers game. Um, Look, and, and, and I think we've got to be really careful. I mean, and a lot of people are calling for Staley and Lombardi's head and I just, just chill with the hyperbole guys. I, I get it. Cool. Let's get rid of our offense coordinator in the middle of the year. Chances are we're probably not making the playoffs because they're going to have to learn a whole new offensive scheme, whatever. But you know, you do have to have calmer heads and Alistair, I'm going to throw something to you. Um, I, made the defense of Joe Lombardi and I think he's doing the best with what he's got. And with Mike Williams going down, Keenan Allen not playing the second half, no Josh Kelly, the myriad, there are myriad reasons for, for why he's calling the game as it is. And, and is it his, this is a two part question. So is it Lombardi's fault? And this is a little bit more hyperbolic and maybe a little bit more um, catastrophizing. Has Herbert reached his ceiling? in Joe Lombardi's offense. So that's a two-parter there. Uh, okay. Uh, I don't think he's reached his ceiling in the offense because I think Herbert's compromised by his physical limitations at the moment. So I do think we're not getting to see the best version of Herbert in this system, whereas there were stretches last year where Herbert looked really good in this system. So I don't think we've seen mm. enough of what Herbert looks like in this system this year when he's been at full health. Maybe he won't get back to it. Uh, I think Lombardi certainly sh shares in the blame. He might even be the biggest culprit at the moment on offense. We just got speaking about how he'd had a couple of really nice games in a row mm. where you saw a bit more rolling out, play action, wide receiver screens. This, is, this one was more like the Denver game. So we had two good games with the Texans and the Browns. This one was more like Denver where Andy said at the checkdowns, no, you said it, Jack, the checkdowns out of control. I mean, what did Eckler have, 12 catches or something like that? It's just yeah. too much. What I will say to the listeners is I'll post this on in the comments, but I showed at least three examples on our Twitter account where there were deep throws open for Herbert that he chose not to take. Now, I'm not saying they were easy throws, but in all of those instances, there was an opportunity with a receiver breaking open downfield, and he's gone with the check down. So, and people said that Herbert did that in Oregon. So I do think Herbert is playing a role in this, but just, just watch Mike McDaniel on the Dolphins or watch Kyle Shanahan and the Niners. There are receivers yeah. streaming open by 30 yards, right? And we saw a bit of that against the Texans and a bit of that against the Browns. We haven't seen it mm. since, and we did not see it the first two weeks. And that's Lombardi scheming. It's, you know, this week, The Seahawks were playing a lot of this week. They were playing a lot of cover one, so they were prepared to risk it in man coverage. And that one touchdown to Williams worked. They got caught in man, and with the crossing route, it worked. But the other yeah. times, they were there. They were batting down passes. We can't get any separation. There's pressure. Herbert's just just trying to make something happen or check it down. And Lombardi doesn't have any answers. Yeah, yeah. There's so is that. Is it a... Sorry, Jack. Oh, sorry, Andy. Oh, so it, so is there merit in that you know this is a, this is Lombardi's scheme is designed for Drew Brees end of career can't throw accurately over twenty yards say and you've got someone like a Michael Thomas you've got some 
good big catching tight ends around it. You've got an elite offensive line in front of you. You've got a really good defense as well. That and that in his time at New Orleans, there, mm. you know, is is like how I always think how adaptable are people in these play calling positions because all of a sudden you lose Williams, you lose this, you lose this. Do you Huge. just go back to the book and just bring a next man in? Or have you built the capacity of your team and your players to actually go, okay, we need to now go do, and do something completely different. Is that the coaching? Is that how the organization is set up? That's a really big question. It's more rhetorical, yeah. but that's where, where my mind goes. I well, guess. if we're going to run this type of offense, we need the weapons who will suit it, which is big guys who catch contested balls or get open quickly because they're Keenan Allen. And Lombardi's crafted this system, which is based around accurate passing, moving the sticks, time of possession and we've had Parham injured who'd be very handy in this kind of system Mike Williams now gets injured so we won't have him for the next few weeks and the last few weeks we've had no Keenan so he's your guy who finds a way to get open so look Lombardi's had one hand behind his back but he, he's not able to find a way out of it um, and I'll maybe actually we'll, we'll stop that conversation now because next week listeners we're going to do more of a by week talk about everything and where to yeah. from here and we can start exploring what to do with coordinators um maybe i'll throw a tough question i reckon this is the toughest question i've prepared uh for the okay. podcast i'm going to throw it to you actually andy <laughs> all right if you could unwind the jc jack signing would you i can give you some i can give you some more detail though um so right now, Andy, uh, he, he's out for the season. So JC Jackson's out for the season. He ends the season with a PFF grade of 28.7, which is ranked second lowest cornerback of the league. We gave him this five-year deal, $82 million. So we've paid all this money for a cornerback. We probably can't part ways with him for at least another two seasons because of the dead cap consequences. So we've paid all this money for JC Jackson. And right now, what do we know? We know he didn't play too well and then he suffered a very serious injury. So what would you do, Andy? Would you go back and change history or do you stick with him? Yeah, sorry about that. Inclement weather in the neighborhood causing network issues. All good. Not in Mount Waverley at the moment, but did you, uh, yeah. Did you get me? <laughs> yes, yes, I did get you. Uh, no, I wouldn't wind it back. Um, I am aware of obviously the the cap ramifications what you're locked into with a contract like this um that's sorry you did say winding it back so um yeah. it's just not doing it rather than cutting that's it right. now. do something else no, with the money look <laughs> oh yeah look I, I really want to harp on about a different position and where we've seemingly neglected it and now it's showing okay uh but that's I don't a politician's think I'd want answer, it back. Andy. I don't I like think it. I don't think I'd want it back. I think <laughs> I don't think I'd want it back. No. Okay. okay. Harsh question, because we do try to stay positive and support these players, but that's what happens. You hand out big contracts, a significant injury happens, and suddenly you've committed to a player for you know a serious period of time. Let's hope he comes back. You, you can't player. forecast. You can't forecast such a drastic no. injury list. And look, we're not the only team that's hampered by massive injuries but seems like every one of our every second of our key position players and superstars are sidelined one week or the other and we haven't really had that ability to uh to gel jack you know so i'll be the bad guy I, i'd wind it back personally i'll just be a bad guy and that's because my guy was dj Reed, so you haven't remember? bought your jersey yet no, i haven't bought it it's not on the way i I think I'll hold off on that purchase. But I mean, DJ Reed was the guy I was banging on about and he's having such a good season and he would, anyway. He'll, let, let's stick with JC Jackson, see how he goes in two years time. <laughs> all I can say, all I can say is that all the players were kneeling. Yep. They were around him. It didn't feel like there was this guy that's been signed to big money and he's quite arrogant or this kind of stuff. They were all there. They were helping him. They all look really concerned. So it clearly shows me that the players respect him. He's got respect in the locker room. As I said at the start, all we can do is just to say, hey, hey dude, come back bigger, faster, stronger, um, and we can't wait to see you out there. Um, Alistair, mm -hmm. I'll give you another tough one. 
Uh, and this is quite a targeted one at Justin Herbert. Yep. The fourth down play, Staley made the right call. Lombardi has brought out the right personnel and there were checkouts of the play that was called. It was Herbert's fault and that changed the momentum of that of the game there. He didn't check out of the run because he didn't read the D tackle over the centre. Okay, so that's a statement. Do I agree? It's it, You don't really know if you agree or not. And I'll tell you why. Not every single play has a, a check called into it. So I don't know. I need to assume maybe there's a check he can call to change the play. But that, it's interesting to break that down. You know, we just get the interception. Murray's first. Great feelings. Uh, third down. Can't remember the play call, but didn't work out. We're now in a fourth and short. Do you go for it there? After we failed, we're now seven out of 17 on fourth down. So we're ranked 21st, 41% of the time. So you need to change your philosophy as the facts change. So to your point earlier, Andy, when you're saying, oh yeah, you can make fun of me about what I was saying a couple of shows ago, opinions can change as facts change. They should. You shouldn't mm. stick to your opinion all the time unless it's a sporting Agreed. team. But Yeah, that's learning, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, so but this but one's this, like, you know, this... the fourth down was okay, but to your point, Jack, the play call, I didn't like the play call and I didn't like the hurry up. No. If you're going to go no, for it, okay. Yeah. So, so, so this leads into my other point. Another note that I've got down, it just seems that our three and outs are just killers. They, A, don't take up much clock, which means that our defense doesn't have a lot of time to rest. Mm. B, we seem to run the hurry up at really weird times. And C, it just doesn't feel like there's any gut feel with Herbert with Staley, with what's going on. And I don't know whether that's, you know, is that, are we, am I a victim of circumstance here because we're not playing very well? And if we were playing well, then we go, oh, Herbert's game management is great. The hurry up's really working, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah. But the last couple of weeks, there's just some weird gap between the, how Pete Carroll and the Seahawks were able to control, especially that third quarter. Mm. All of a sudden the third quarter was over and we're going, oh, I thought we were kind of in this game, but we're kind of out of it. And is that just down to coaching? Is that experienced quarterback play? Is that just where we find ourselves? You These tell me, Jack. Questions. You tell us. You tell the listeners. Does this coaching staff lack instincts? I know on Bolts from the Blue, I think it's Mike Mercury made a fantastic comment. If you're listening, Mike. Um, yes. What do you reckon? Did, did, did the team lack instincts? <laughs> With the only bit of footage that I can see that was quite poignant was when Geno Smith was clearly frustrated on the sideline. He wasn't happy with what had happened. They had to call a timeout or a play didn't work. And you saw Pete Carroll going, hey, shh, just chill, relax, relax. That leadership, mm. that that really uh, level head on the sideline. I'm not saying that Brandon Staley is not that, uh, but I haven't seen any footage of Brandon doing that. So I'm not saying that he doesn't do it. But I believe that that game was instead of let's let's leave it let's leave coaching out of it. I think our coaching staff was outmanaged that game um, because when we look at it from a macro level, that time management and the play calling all working in synchronicity to control the narrative rather than be reactive to the narrative. And I thought Pete Carroll and Seahawks gave Staley um, et al an absolute bath in that sense. I totally agree with you. Totally agree with you. The management of the th third quarter, especially. Our defense was just gassed. And amazingly, I think they still played um, the same amount of snaps. But it just goes to show how many of ours were wasteful and over, just like that. Yep. No physicality in ours. Not Where were the blitzes real this headaches. week as well? We, we had 12 pressures on Geno. They had 22 on us. There was no blitzing this week after it worked so well last week. I just don't get that. And that's that instincts thing. I mean, maybe it's game it's, plan it's, specific, but if what you're doing is not working, send the house. Yeah, it's it's uh, identity as well. We are seeing, we spoke last, last week about the shift in Staley's want to go for it on fourth, fourth down and it's now muddying his idea of when the right time is to go for it on first down. <clears throat> I agree that that opening drive should have gone for it. Uh, it just failed, like you said. Um, but we're just, we're, yeah, we're 
seeing success from the blitz last week and the week before and then not using it this week. Like why try and fix it if it ain't broke? Wasn't that much of a difference in personnel from that group? No one really missing, but... Can someone set a fucking edge too? (sighs) Jesus Christ, my God. Khalil Mack does a great job, but... The amount of times that you're seeing Kenneth Murray get blown up by a by your right guard or your right or your left guard or tackle and just gets held up and the running back just goes whoop see you later seventy yards. What did you think of it's Kenneth unbelievable. Walker Jack on your first watch of him? Were you <sighs> impressed? My God, yeah. Oh, you called it. You called. It. I mean, big shoes to fill. That Barry Sanders type. I shouldn't that say that. I went Barry so. Sanders and Lashawn McCoy, and I know listeners. <laughs> It was just, <laughs> it was it, like just stylistically, stylistically is reminiscent. I'm not saying he's going to be a Hall of Famer, but what a start. He looks amazing. Yeah. So, but, but what have we done? We've, we've beefed up the defensive front and all of a sudden we're getting absolutely gashed on the edges. And Joey Bosa, to his credit, does a great job when he's in and missing him at edge is, is, is a tough one. Khalil Mack is doing an incredible job, but I'd expect Kyle Van Noy. I'd expect Chris, more out of Chris Rumpf. I'd be expecting more out of Austin Johnson and SJD um, in that sense. But all the runs that we're getting, they're not through the middle. They are just going whoop outside. And, it's, and if I'm going to have a freaking teachable moment, I've had it. Three or four weeks ago, I'm going to have it again. Why isn't it changing? Why isn't our edge defense improving? Why don't we have more people setting the edge? Why isn't a, why isn't it a priority that we don't get beaten outside? I just don't understand it. It's it's just it's mind boggling. I'm just waiting for it every single time we are against a running back. And you know what? Rookie or not, the holes that we have on the outside of that line are just incredible. Come on, Mm. do your job. That's it. Diatribe over. Sorry. No, that's good. I guess we're on to Yenars and Nayez then. Oh, if you want to. So have we ended up? Like, are we happy where we've landed on Staley? I think I'm all right for breaking down that game. I don't have any other points to make. But by all means, if you've got some more to throw at us, shoot. Uh, yeah, I think the identity and the instincts are the two big things for me that we've we've covered. Um, maybe some reflection might suggest, you know, it's been mentioned before, probably by, by us as well. Do we want to maybe take the, the defensive play calling duties off Staley? And um, I'm gonna hold, be- I'm gonna hold on to that one for a, another show. I reckon I'm not gonna I'm not gonna call the call the changes. <laughs> All right, just go into your Nayer award then, Al. All right. Uh, Nayer, so I get the, the dubious distinction of finding pos- a positive play from this game, which is, I guess, like finding a, a gold nugget in the middle of the Melbourne CBD. Not happening. Oh, it doesn't always have to just be the best play. It can be the best player. Oh, moment, no, no, I've got, I've got, a, I've got one. Khalil Mack had his lowest mm. graded game for the year, but when he dived onto that loose fumble... And his helmet collided with D. Eskridge. And D. Eskridge did not come off well, man. He he couldn't get off the field for about a minute. Man, he's had he, he had real bad concussion problems a year or two ago. Oh, real bad d- ones. Dude, Mac just act like nothing had happened to him. And he picks yeah. up the ball and walks off and he's just sitting on the sideline laughing, blah, blah, blah. I'm a big man. And the poor bastard, skinny-ass, skill position guy <laughs> lying on the turf. I love that. I actually love that because I'm like, we've got the tough ass blue chip, all pro superstar who's just gone, get out of my way, brother. I'm picking up the ball. <laughs> That's good. Yeah, nice. Nice all right. Track. So <clears throat> there's lots to be uh, shirky about and lots of potential winners for a, a real negative, yeah, nah award. But I feel like I've, I've personally felt negative enough about this game. So for my yeah, nah award, I'm taking it quite literally and going, yeah, nah. And we've spoken at length about him. Um, and unfortunately we're not going to be able to talk about him playing in games coming up. So the way JC Jackson started the game, the way he, he looked out there, a man out there to prove himself. I started off with a yeah, boy, he's here. The dog's back. And then Pop goes the weasel and his patella tendon tears. Uh, nah, man, that fucking sucks. So rest up, brother, and um, 
you can have a little make-believe award to just make you feel a bit better <laughs> on a positive positive note to end. Well, I hope he doesn't listen to this episode after I've gone and said I'd unwind his signing. So, yeah, the, <laughs> the, the award is a bit of a, a pyrrhic victory for him. Yeah, you're right. All right, well, wrap-up of a Shocker game complete. Now, a bit of fun. Turn it up. All right. A uh, bit of a fun game. Jack and Alistair are the wordsmiths of the show. And in order to, oh, for them to show their appreciation of or displeasure of various Americanisms, be it fra- turns of phrase, words in general. So they're going to go back and forth with a uh, turn it up or turn it up. Over to you, Jack. Well, first one for me. Uh... We're taking Americanisms here, inside and outside of sport and football. Uh, the first one that really grinds my gears and is a turn it up, mate, is fall. Okay, the correct term is autumn. We do not use a physical action of falling down to describe a season. Come on, guys, turn it up. Okay, if we're talking about Americanisms with wording, turn it up with the following. Jaguars. What oh, is that? What is Jaguars? <laughs> it's a Jaguar. And made up words all together. Stick to itiveness. Yeah, oh, shocker. I, 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 I think the word is perseverance, personally. But it, it's, it's <laughs> stick to itiveness. And I've got a couple of other ones that Mike McCoy used to say a lot. We got a long ways to go. Nope, we've got a long way to go. Not a long ways. And also, I could care less. I think you mean couldn't. Turn it up. Exactly. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, stick-to-itiveness. See, I actually had stick-to-itiveness of what the hell is it? But I love it. So I was like, turn it up, baby. Okay. Uh, The other one that I... teacher liking the makeup words. All right. I do, yes. bit a bit bit like that. And the other one that I love is the verbiage. The verbiage. (laughs) It's like, excuse me? What, the, the verbiage? Uh, no, that is not a word, but I love that one. So turn it up on that one. Just a couple of turn it ups, which I don't like. <laughs> Saying the date backwards drives me up the wall. Mm. Oh. Okay, it becomes very, very confusing after 12th of each month. So can you please get your dates correct, America? Also, trunk, It's rel- I think it's called a boot. That's what we call it. It's the boot of a car, not a trunk, because a trunk is also something that you take overseas when you're traveling on a plane. Uh, please call it the boot. And this is perhaps a controversial one. Uh, when you say it's the leader of the free world, when you say, when you talk about your president, mm-hmm. huh? What? I think he or she is the leader of one of the countries of the free world. All right, guys? Just chill on that one. Okay, now, okay, now so we're going to turn oh, it up. This is great. This now, is going to ruffle feathers. Now we're going to turn it up, as in turn, turn this up in my headphones because I love it so much. I love the way you Americans say Green Bay. We would say Green Bay. And you guys love to emphasize that last bit, Green Bay. So when you go to a rock concert, do you say we've gone to listen to Green Day? I don't think you do. (laughs) I just don't think you go to see Green Day, but you do go to watch Green Bay at Lambeau. And I also love open up a can of whoop ass. I don't know what that means. It's one of my favourite sayings ever. What is a can of whoop-ass? I'd buy it. Uh, Turn that up in my headphones. Uh, uh, these are these are turning up in my headphones. Um, I came across this the other day. That guy's a Monday morning quarterback. And I was like, what does that mean? And that term refers to someone who's always second-guessing a decision made after a football game or business meeting after it's already happened. Yeah. I was like, Ooh. that is a great, great awesome. saying. A Monday morning quarterback. football's everything. Stop being a Monday morning quarterback. That's great. <laughs> um, and one of my favorites as a teacher, um, I love saying, and it's not really used in Australia too much. I use it all the time. Time, but saying, oh, you know, that that throw right there is really in his wheelhouse. I think that is a wonderful, wonderful saying. The etymology of that apparently is obviously you envisage a captain on a on a ship and the wheelhouse is, is steering the ship. So when you're in your wheelhouse, you're in that zone of, um, you know, where you like to be. I love the, the, the history of that. Um, I think it goes back to baseball a lot of the time as well, that it's in his wheelhouse. But yeah, turn those up in my headphones. All right. Now I'm going to pull a jack and break the rules. So I'm going to go beyond mere words and phraseology 
and look at just American things generally, some good and some bad that I like. And one I love, turn this up in my headphones, American adverts generally, but especially for medical products. <laughs> when you might, you might have Ray Liotta or some actor with his grandchild saying, you know, are you tired of headaches? If you get bad headaches, then dicosterin is the medicine for you. And then invariably, here comes, side effects may include dizziness, nausea, vomiting, incarceration, loss of motor control, loss of clothing, loss of money, delusions of grandeur, tabletop dancing, headaches, dehydration, dry mouth, and a desire to sing karaoke and play all night strip poker. Dicosterin, it'll fix your life. <laughs> FDA approved. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's amazing the shit you can get away with when you think no one's listening. Uh, that was very the last good. one. I, very the well last prepared. one I have, um, and this got me in a little bit of trouble uh, for the listeners. Um, as a as a junior, I played a bit of basketball and was lucky enough to play some basketball in America and go to school in America <laughs> for a bit. Using the word uh, rubber in a classroom and asking my uh, my student that I was uh, attached to, asking her for a rubber in the yeah. middle of class. <laughs> Sorry, just, now, to, just to explain that, attached to, I, Jack, about... Jack used to be a Siamese twin. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, hey, you've got, a, you've got like a, a person that, a chaperone, let's say, that tutors you. And she was actually very, she was, you know, she was a, little, a few years older than me. I was only 15, she was 18 and she was quite good looking. So um, asking this girl for a rubber in the middle of an American classroom, uh, uh, brought the house down and I had no idea because in Australia we call uh, erasers rubbers um, and we call condoms condoms. But in America, or dingers. you say rubbers or, or dingers. Yeah, if you want to talk about that one. So uh, I don't know about that one. I, I got a pretty good reception when I said that in the middle of class. So turn that up in my headphones. Good stuff. Uh, I've got a bit of a fun one, actually, just to round out. Uh, <clears throat> Jacked up NFL ref referees. Ed Hockley, Gene Steratore, even Ron Torbett last week looked like he benches a keg for a few reps before he demolishes it. Hell, I reckon even Pete Morelli would have smashed a few hands-free push-ups in the bedroom back in his day. <laughs> What's going on there? Turn it up. <laughs> Love it. He's giving him the business. Yeah, the business. <laughs> <laughs> giving him the business. Love it. Number 69, he's giving him the business. <laughs> As we well, record at the moment, we're four days away from the NFL trade deadline as that comes on November the 1st. Al, I'm going to throw to you to start this off. Give us a suggestion for a potential trade candidate okay. that the Chargers might snaffle up. Yes, and we should acknowledge that a lot of us probably would have thought something we need to do is get some edge help. But since we planned for our show today, the Chargers today signed Jeremiah Tauchu, who we will all remember from, you know, welcome back, this, welcome back second round pick in 2014. He's now 29 years old. Um, most recently, he had 13 games with the Broncos in 2020, where he had five sacks. Now, Staley was with the Rams at that time, but Fangio was in Denver, so he knows this system. Uh, then he played five games for the Bears in 2021, no sacks. And this year so far, he's been with the Ravens and only played in the one game and had the eight snaps. So he's on the back nine of his career by the looks. But you know what? If you're looking for someone who can just play for three or four weeks until Rumpf returns... I don't mind the idea of someone who's got some scheme familiarity and just add some support to what is now a very thin group with Van Noy and Tusker. If we did want to add another edge player, I had one. It was 34-year-old Jerry Hughes. Mm -hmm. mm. He would cost, and, and you can't really do this exercise without knowing, the Chargers have $4.87 million of cap space this year, give or take. And Hughes is only due another $2.5 million this year that we would have to pay if we traded him. I think prorated for whatever games have already gone. Then next year, he's owed $5 million. So if you think like he can still help you, he's had 17 pressures and four sacks this year. That's maybe a quick Band-Aid solution. Pay whatever it costs. Get over 34-year-old Jerry Hughes and let him, let him rip. So that's my first trade mm. candidate. Uh, let, I'll throw it to you, Jack. Who, who did you have in your sights? Yeah, I had I, I had Jerry Hughes as well. Um, I would go 
the wide receiver room is looking pretty thin at the moment. Um, we're looking for some speed. I'm thinking with Keenan Allen coming back, uh, you know, it's not like for like with Mike Williams going down, but um, at least it gives another target for Herbert Short, but with no Guyton. Um, I was thinking Darius Slayton Ooh, from the Giants, nice one. Okay. Um, which I don't mind. He's a, he's a 43940. Um, I was just looking at some of his numbers. Um, he's on a, f I think he's signed for four years um, at 2.7 million. So he's affordable. Um, in his first three seasons, he had yards per reception. I think just looking at it here is 13. So um, he is a deep threat when thrown and caught nice. and catching. Um, he's only got eight catches for t on 12 targets for 108 yards because you've got Golladay, who who knows what's going on with him. Uh, you've got Robinson, Tony, um, Slayton doesn't necessarily have a role just yet, um, but I'm not sure if Mr. Daybowl will be wanting to get rid of a guy that has that kind of capability. Not now so they're winning games. That, and now they're winning games. So that was my... I've got a couple more, but um, Andy, I don't want to take things away from you. So that was my first um, trade that we could... Or maybe just a... Yeah, just an acquisition that we could grab. Yeah, well, uh, as Al said, after I found out that Rob Quinn got shipped off to the Philly, Jerry Hughes was high on my list as well, just for experience, uh, a bit of production and cheap. Because Edge is now a very pressing need for us, I believe. Uh, on the wide receiver front, don't mind the Darius Slayton idea. Kendrick Bourne yep. um, is a guy that I've been uh, looking at <clears throat> and not necessarily known for his speed. No. Uh, it's fair. But he's a yard after catch monster. Averaged 14.5 yards per reception last year in his 800-yard kind of breakout year. Half of that, seven yards was after the catch, ranking fifth in the NFL. Awesome. Now, word on the street is there's maybe like a a price around a sixth round pick, uh, which is not unaffordable. I think he's 3.5 this year. I could be wrong. I'm still sort of getting my head around that a little bit. I think it's 3.5 and then sort of five next year. So if we took on his current contract, then we're, we're really spending a lot of money on the wide receiver room, but... There is potential that things could be shuffled up there, especially with someone not being all that available this year. Yeah, <clears throat> I agree. He was one of mine. And the additional reason is there's a coaching connection there where he knows Shane Day from their time mm. in San Francisco. So maybe that helps to onboard him. I'm always weary um, of these, wary, sorry, of these wide receiver acquisitions because they have two weeks to learn the offense and how much can they contribute. Now, I guess Odell Beckham would say a lot last year, but it doesn't always work. So to have that contact point of familiarity helps. I'm going to throw a couple unrealistic ones or, you know, I've got some of those kind of cheap ones that would work. But if you really wanted to splash, two possible ones are DJ Moore or Brandon Cooks from the Texans. Now, I know what you're thinking, listeners. It doesn't make sense. Your cap's crazy. You're already paying $20 million to two wide receivers. Well, both of these moves would necessitate the team moving on from Keenan or Mike at the end of this year. But if we wanted immediate help, you could get DJ Moore right now. He'd only cost another 1.235 mil for the rest of this year. And then he's due 20 million in 2023, 16 million 2024, 16 million 2025. So you're basically swapping out one expensive receiver for another one. And then with Brandon Cooks, he's a bit older. Um, he'd, again, he'd only cost us uh, much less than that for this year. He'd cost us $1.6 million. And then next year, he'd cost 18. So there, the, I know people think, don't do it. But if you want to trade someone out, you need a good receiver with production. They're two options. Jack. Well, I'm, I'm going to keep with the, the familiarity approach uh, in the wide receiver room. And another option that popped up for me was Marcus Callaway from yeah. New Orleans. Yeah. Um, you know, and he's not known for having a lot of speed, um, but he's okay in, in the deep game. Um, he was with the Saints when Lombardi was there um, with the quarterbacks coach, and he also played with Josh Palmer at Tennessee. Ooh. So there's some familiarity there. Um, last year, he had 46 for 698 and six touchdowns um, at 15.2 yards per reception. So um, the guy can move, and he can move deep. 
um, because at the moment it looks like Chris Olave is the go-to guy. I think he gets 15 targets a bloody week, that guy. He's running in to be Rookie of the Year. Um, but when you've got Michael Thomas and Jarvis Landry back there, um, and he's, he's, not, he's not expensive. I think he's just on a, just under $2.3 million on a three-year deal. Um, to round out my guys, this is a bit of a left field one, but to, to edge if we were looking uh, for maybe a little bit more than a stopgap was actually Lorenzo Carter from the Falcons. Nice one. Um, cool. He's that, yeah, he's sort of long defender, um, quite explosive. I had a bit look at his tape earlier. Um, at this point in time, he's got 11 pressures, seven run stops and two sacks. Um, and I think, you know, Atlanta are in a weird kind of spot. Um, whether that happens before or after we play them, who knows? But that kind of right rounds out my guys. I didn't really have any splash um, splash players. I did think about trading Joey Bosa, uh, but then I quickly slapped myself on the bottom and said, "No, bad boy." <laughs> it's a big bottom. Uh, it's probably worth big hand. probably. Yeah. <laughs> you know what they say. Uh, it's probably worth touching on. Elijah Moore, there's been a lot of, that's sort of the name that's had Chargers fans storming the gates. But guys, like, Tom Telesco is not going to bring in a guy that's been openly shitty with his situation at the Jets. The Jets don't want to trade him. Um, so I don't see this being a, a sensible, it doesn't, it doesn't make sense from a Chargers business standpoint. So chill on that one, guys. I don't think that's going to happen. And... Yeah, don't knock down the wall mm-hmm. when it doesn't. I could be wrong, though. I've been surprised by a heap of shit in this game this year. So yeah, I, what, do I, what do I know? I think we'd be excited about that one. That would really change our fortunes at receiver. I think that could oh, be a, a big, big one. Speed is great. Yep. Speed is great. I've got a couple last ones. Um, another one like that, which I think is unrealistic, would be Chase Claypool. So I'm not going to spend time on that, mm. but there's talk about that. And you He's know, going to Green Bay. Yeah, right. Well, Mike Williams goes down. You just think six foot four. He runs a four four two. Here are the random ones. If you want to try and fix something you're not thinking about, Albert Okbuegbunam, Albert O, could be had for eight hundred ninety five k. If you feel like you need help in that tight end room. And if you want to think of it the other way, where we can't run the ball, one of the best blocking tight ends in the league, Nick Boyle from the Ravens, could be had for almost nothing. Not a sexy move, but Trey McKitty not getting the the job done. Oh, McKitty. Not doing well. Nick Boyle's been great for a long time. He'd only cost a million dollars. And then if you wanted to help Eckler in the backfield, the big name at running backs, Kareem Hunt. Yeah. He'd cost $6 million for the rest of the year. You'd probably need to do something like trade Tillery for two mil. Cleveland could do with help in their defensive interior. And you think, you know what, let's go Eckler, Kareem Hunt and someone else and try to work it that way. Yeah. I mean, then there's one argument for, again, going with the familiarity is Rokon Smith with the Bears Mm. uh, and having a homecoming (laughs) with Brandon Staley. I don't think that's going to happen. But man, that would be... Fun Ooh, yeah. to see because I think Farcical. he's playing on one of the on one of the last years of his rookie deal, so he's still very affordable. But we'd have to pay him a lot of money. Trade K nine next year. Oops. <laughs> oh yeah, on K nine after that little that seventy four yard run. Just going back to the game, that seventy four yard run by um, Kenneth Walker. Kenneth Murray had a perfect opportunity to tackle him, so. He just could have dived, got the tackle, but he didn't. And I think the real K9 now is the rookie Seahawk. And uh, mm. Kenneth Murray shall now be the the player form, the football player formerly known as K9. He will be referred to as K9 on this show purely for convenience. That's the last you thing I'll say. say that, you can say that to his face because after he got that interception, he was flexing. Uh, oh, I mate, the look on his face him irked me. <laughs> it he is irked an the absolute shit out of me. weapon. That absolute physical face. weapon. Just convert it into something. You got it, Kenneth. Come on, come on, man. Nice. Well, anyway. we've got we've got a week off for the boys to get uh, rested up. We'll be back same time next week to preview the Falcons game and maybe talk about a few things that could have changed in Chargers land over the break. Thanks for joining us again on the Thunder Down Under Chargers podcast. It's been awesome. Uh, Hopefully a win next time. Uh, We'll see you next time on the show. See you guys. Bye. Bye. Bye.
Backpedals looking, firing. He's got Floyd turning. Got it! Six and a ten, five, high step, touchdown! San Diego! <laughs> Woo! Good night! Good night to all!